Welcome to the Sandhills Podcast. My name is Pastor John. I'm joined today by none other than Chaplain Colonel Larry Daybeck, who is, if you guessed because you know my last name, he is my father. Yes, I am Larry Daybeck. Thank you. That's, uh, that's if you go back into the archives of CIU's recorded chapels, my dad's first chapel there, what year was that? That was 2004 after Iraq. 2004, he opens with, thank you, I am Larry Daybeck. And for some reason, it's really taken off in our family. That's right. So that was a great homage. Thank, thank you. you. You're uh, welcome. And now it's on the Sandals podcast. So we're really trying to spread this thing out. That's right. Uh, welcome thank to you, the show. Absolutely. Also, thank you for your service and for being my father. And a lot of thanks for that. You've been phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> Highly recommend. <laughs> well, the... Uh, the privilege, honestly, is mine to to be a ch- army chaplain, and uh, quite frankly, John, it's been a joy to be your dad for the last nice. twenty four years. Twenty four years. There we go. It's all right. We can edit that. <laughs> we'll we'll speed it up. That's right. <laughs> all right. So uh, obviously, I know who you are, but I sure. want to go kind of into a little bit about why we have you on the show. So we'll be talking about the army chaplaincy a little bit. We'll okay, be talking great. about you. Then we'll also be talking about the moral and ethical and theological area of what does a Christian do when it comes to warfare? Can we join the military? Can we not? What does it mean to turn the other cheek? When do we not turn the other cheek? And how do we balance those things? So great questions all. Yeah, we'll be talking about all that. But first, let's start. Give us a a kind of a brief history uh, of who you are, how you came to faith, and how you got to where you are. Hey, great. Um, So I grew up in a family that went to church every Sunday. Uh, I was familiar with what Christ had done, had uh, an understanding that Jesus was Lord, that he died and rose again on the third day. But for me, for the first 20 years of my life, that really wasn't uh, real. I I hadn't made that truth my own. Um, It was more academic, more in my head, but definitely not in my heart. So I go to college my freshman year, uh, Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. And I joined a fraternity and all that goes along with that. And uh, uh, suffice it to say, I needed saving. Uh, things, things were not going well. And um, at the beginning of that freshman year, two guys in my dorm, when we all introduced ourselves, you know, I'm from Cincinnati, this is my major, you know, you know, and I like the Bengals. <clears throat> These two guys said something really interesting that I thought was was kind of odd. They said, "You know, I'm Fred, I'm Barney, and and I I'm a Christian, and I'm a Christian." And I thought that's really weird. Why why mm-hmm. didn't they say they were Presbyterian or Catholic or, or whatever, mm-hmm. or Bengals fans, or Bengals fans, um, which is its own burden. <laughs> and for the rest of that year, those two guys in my dorm, their life was different. Mm. And their life was uh, authentic, and it was attractive. Like something was different, and it wasn't weird. It was something genuine that that I I began to realize I I didn't have, and I still do like uh, football to this day. And Campus Crusade for Christ uh, still is. It's called Crew now, a ministry on on uh, campuses to college students. And they had a f- movie called Football Fever. Mm. And that movie was played in our dorm, and it had uh, fabulous people that I admired, like Archie Griffin played for the Cincinnati Bengals, Tom Landry, um, all these different Christians that I didn't realize at the time were Christians, but people that I really respected. And then at the end of the movie, they all kind of gave their testimony that 
yeah, football is great and I enjoy it, but here's who I am. Here's my identity. Mm. I'm a Christian and Christ has made all the difference in my life. And when the movie was over, I'm like, wow, that's, they talked about it being personal. And that had never occurred to me before that Mm. a relationship with Christ could be something real and personal. And so they pass out these little comment cards. Do you want to find out more information? I said, yeah, I definitely. So one of those guys in my dorm followed up with me and, and shared the gospel with me and I prayed to receive Christ. Wow. And to, I mean, that was, you know, April of 1982. Uh, it, I remember it was around Easter and I mean, that's when the light went on. I'm wow. like, I get it. This is this, I mean, the Bible made sense now and I liked going to church and, and, and it all became so, so real. And, um, one of the guys in my dorm and I'll finish with this said, uh, uh, you know, because I was, I was given to Friday and, e- and, and Saturday evening uh, partying. One of my friends said to me, he goes, Larry, I know you. This won't last a week. You know, and that was 1982. And, and You're coming up on 40 years. Yeah. And proving God, that guy wrong. Right. And, and God's been faithful ever since. That's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I absolutely love that story. And I've heard it a couple of times, you know, yeah. and, and various versions of it with, uh, things put in and things put out, obviously. Yeah. Some of it was to teach me what not to do uh, <laughs> as I grew up as, your, as your child. Absolutely. Um, but I, and I always love that part where you talk about someone telling you that it's not going to last. Mm. Yeah. Because, it, but here's what the beautiful thing is it's not up to us. Mm. Mm-hmm. And Christ is faithful to yeah. be with us when we commit ourselves to Him. I mean, that's it. The, the beauty of all of this is, uh, you know, when Christ says in the Gospels, um, those whom the Father has given me, no one can take out of my hands. Mm. And that includes me. Yeah. You know, so. We're secure. Yeah, absolutely. What a joy. And uh, so you came to Christ in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, you transferred to CIU after that, correct? Sure. That's right. So how did, because uh, you, you were in chapel today and you talked about possibly being a missionary, but yeah. now you're obviously in uniform as a chaplain. What happened? So um, at that school, um, that's where I met my wife. So the two most important relationships in my life met my savior, uh, or my savior met me. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't looking for him. Uh, he wasn't lost. Um, and, uh, I met Kathy Geyer from Dayton, Ohio, and, uh, we started to develop a pretty serious relationship, but it also became really clear to me that, um, this gospel thing, um, really is what my life's about. Mm. It, it isn't about, I think it was in, in systems analysis and, and computer you know, engineering, um, which apparently turned out to be a, a good way to go for people, but uh, it wasn't for me. The, mm. I really wanted to be a part of uh, taking the gospel to the nations. And so um, I was discipled in that ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ, and it was uh, wonderfully contexted in missions. Mm. You know, it's a, you're a Christian to, to bring the gospel to all the nations. So I started thinking, okay, where do I go to get that? Where do I get, you know, academically credentialed to to be the best missionary possible? And mm. I mean, different schools kept up, but everybody always said this one school, uh, Columbia Bible College at that time. And so, uh, sight unseen, I drove onto campus to to get that missions. That was 1986, and uh, got married in 1987. We lived over in the village, mm-hmm. a little uh, trailer park on campus, and. Um, and then stayed on for my Master of Divinity and worked at the school as well to, to pay for that Master of Divinity. 
So then how did you, so you're working at the school. How, do, how were you thinking? So you had a job at the school and you were the head of admissions, weren't you, for right. the seminary? Yeah. So you were in a, a good school. You had a good job. Why have the pull to, to ministry, to either missionary context, and when did the Army come into it? Oh, okay. So um, we got aligned with a, uh, a denomination to go uh, to Eastern Europe. So the wall had come down from the Soviet Union in you know, 1990, 1991. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we really wanted to be a part of um, going to Eastern Europe uh, and ministering. The, and, and my grandparents are from Poland. So the opportunity to go back into, the, into Poland or to that area and uh, help the church to disciple and to uh, you know, build evangelists as well to go out mm-hmm. um, was really where we were going. But you've hit on something that's interesting. So having a comfortable job in a good ministry, I, I loved CIU, wound up being the director of recruitment as well. So that was over college and seminary admissions and financial aid. We had a, I had 17 people on our team. Um, I'm like, I could, I could coast. Mm-hmm. I could just, you know, hey, I'm contributing to the kingdom. This is a Christian place. I'm doing Christian things. And God just, you know, kept hounding me, you know, don't get comfortable. This is not where you're going to stay. Mm. So um, what was interesting also at the same time as my wife and I were really beginning to sense that this cross-cultural Europe thing may not, I mean, we'd be accepted by a mission board. All Mm -hmm. we had to do was turn on support team building. But we had this sense that this, this, this may not be it. And so we had the, uh, the mission board director over at our house every year uh, just to kind of get an update where we're going, what's next. Mm-hmm. And he said a fascinating thing. This was so, so liberating. Uh, he said, I just want to let you know, you guys are awesome. We, we, you know, you're exactly who we're looking for. You've already been accepted. You've passed all the tests. You know, we're ready to just start support team building. And we're not, we're not sure the Lord's in this anymore. Mm. And we're like, oh, Neither are we. <laughs> Convenient. <laughs> right? It was just like, it was just so good of the Lord yeah. to um, put it on somebody else's heart. So it's mm. not like... A confirmation. Yeah, really. So, you know, otherwise, you know, it's kind of a Jonah thing. You wind up going someplace you're not supposed to go and you bring everybody else down with you. Yeah. Um, and so my brother-in-law, uh, my wife's uh, sister's husband, was in the Army. He's an officer. He's an aviator, uh, flies helicopters. We were on spring break with him and his family, your cousins. And, Uncle Greg. Uh, that's right, Uncle Greg. And uh, we kind of joke. He said, you know, you, you love God. You're ordained. You know, you're marginal with people. Why don't you think about being an Army chaplain? And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. The chaplain school is right there in Columbia, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And, um, the, I mean, I got some advice from my pastor. I sought out the uh, counsel of people who knew me and Kathy well, knew our mm-hmm. lives well. And it was just like God made it so clear that if we didn't do this, we would be out of his will. And I don't wow. go there often. I'm like, you're in his will, you're out of his will. I, but we got confirmed at every step that this is what God was doing for our, our family, not, wow. just, not just for me. And then uh, a year later, um, I was at Fort Hood, Texas as a battalion chaplain and been doing that ever since the last 21 years. Wow. And it's so cool to hear that because you realize that that call to missions 
was completely legit mm -hmm. in preparing your heart for the ultimate mission that he had in Absolutely. this season of life. And so that's, <clears throat> I think, one of the things that's so important, especially for our younger listeners who are around my age, because it, it can be very difficult to think, okay, I graduated. I need to find my one I passion. need all the answers. i got to know I've now. I've got to be in it now. Yeah. Exactly. And Not true. The Lord uses so many things to prepare us for what he's calling us too. That's I mean, yeah. you were at CIU for 14 years. Yeah. I thought I'd be there for two years. And or you three. barely made it in the army. Yes. You were close. You were close on the age thing when the Lord a, was there's ready. There's an age. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Gramps, not for you. <laughs> but you made it in. Yeah. And, and now you've been in over 20 years, yeah. right? Yeah. It'll be 21 this May. Wow. Yeah. And you've been deployed three times. Yep. Uh, Iraq two times, Afghanistan once. But let me circle back to that sure. idea of, of, clarity of calling I, mm. I think the thing that the lord is is looking for the most that we realize and i've heard it expressed this way um it, you don't have to know where the ship is going mm. just untie from the dock and start going and god is going to be faithful to give you the direction the guidance the wind everything you need for the voyage but but you got to untie from the dock you know you're not going to go anywhere if you just remain tied you know wringing your hands going, oh, what's God's calling my life? Where am I supposed right. Hey, just start going. And, God, you know, you can plan your way, and God's going to direct your steps. Um, Absolutely. That's a promise, and he's going to do it. So, you know, you don't have to have all the, you know, just take one step, and God will show you what step number two is. Absolutely. Yeah. And follow him in faith. And yeah. knowing that when you untether, you've got a real captain yeah. who knows what he's doing. He's done this before. He knows that he's, he's <laughs> got right. a plan. Right. He's got a plan. He's got the charts. I was wondering if you could share with us what's one of the coolest things you've gotten to do in military ministry. There's obviously, you talked today in chapel about tanks. I remember tanks growing up. They were awesome. Uh, but you've got a wealth of experiences. What's one of the coolest things? So, you know, the cool factor, there's a couple of things that are just flat out fun, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, being in a tank battalion, watching tanks roll down and, and having at that point now the guys where the commanders of those tank platoons and tank companies are now my friends. Mm. Um, you know, they're captains. I'm a captain. You know, they're 27, um, 37. <laughs> uh, uh, but to, to see how the Army works and moves and mm. shoots and communicates is really an amazing thing. So, uh, you know, 99% of us don't have any contact in America with somebody in the military. Mm. Uh, I was amazed to see what they do uh, and to see you know quite frankly the level of responsibility given to a 27 year old officer uh, who is now has a hundred soldiers and a billion dollars worth of tanks and and they're responsible for all of that yeah and they do it well i mean that that so that that was the fun kind of cool thing um but as i went along i think my third deployment when i went to afghanistan um, I got to be the command chaplain for all of Afghanistan, uh, U.S. and NATO special operations. So mm -hmm. Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, special operators. Um, and, and that really had a, a, a very amazing, unique ministry that um, you're just not going to get anywhere else, even in right. the, the broader Army. So that opportunity to work with um, the special operators was, uh, you know, again, like another layer in of... Yeah things that you don't get to normally see and to see their professionalism. And there are a lot of Christians in special operations because yeah. uh, they realize um, they're at the tip of the spear. 
Yeah. And, and uh, they've got to be right with the Lord uh, on a daily basis just to enjoy his presence and, 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 and his word, let alone be ready to make the ultimate sacrifice. Absolutely. What's been one of the most challenging aspects of being an army chaplain? Well, uh, I'd say there's, there's two things. One is <clears throat> the, the reality of what we do in, in, in combat. So, mm. um, you know, before you go to combat, you, you'll be the chaplain for your forces. You'll, I'm responsible where the commander is, but I, I work for the commander to make sure that, that the religious requirements of all of their soldiers are taken care of, mm. whether that's Christian or not. But uh, for the Christians especially, I provide direct ministry to them. Because that's your denomination perspective and your faith group perspective. And I've got to be faithful to that. I, can't comp- I won't right. compromise on who I am biblically and, and mm-hmm. to be an authentic evangelical Christian. And one of the ways that plays out is in the reality of death on the battlefield. So, um, I, and I mentioned this this morning, you know, a, a good friend of mine came to chapel every time in combat, uh, a sergeant. I, I won't mention his name, but just, just a dear, kind, humble man. He was one of our mechanics and uh, saw him in chapel, you know, there in Iraq every, every time I, w- I was around doing chapel. And uh, towards the end of our deployment, we got attacked. Our, our operating base uh, got fired on with, uh, with rockets and missiles, and um, that sergeant was mortally wounded. And I, I got to be there with him in that moment uh, as he lay there, dying honestly mm-hmm. i got to hold him pray with him talk to him uh and uh, that moment in my life is uh, really forged me as a mm-hmm. chaplain that that it isn't just about doing church and bible studies and and ministry by presence but it's being that in that sacred spot for that soldier mm-hmm. um you know, to our, our three competencies in the chaplaincy are, are to, you know, to care for the living, to uh, care for the wounded, and then to honor the fallen, and then to be there in that moment with him as he crossed the threshold to eternity um, was really sacred. Mm-hmm. And um, so that, that was a very significant moment in, in my army. So that's, that's a, a challenge to answer your question, <clears throat> but it's also, and it's hard, but it's good. Right. So th- there's that aspect. And then the other facet of the, of the, any military chaplaincy that is, it's not for everybody. Um, I'm sent by my denomination to be an authentic evangelical Christian. I can't compromise on that. And I won't. And that same first amendment that provides for free exercise rights for all of us goes for the Muslim soldiers and the Jewish soldiers and, and soldiers of no faith. Mm-hmm. So I have to ensure uh, that their faith requirements are provided for. I don't do it, but I make sure that the Jewish soldier uh, knows where the rabbi is. I know mm-hmm. that the, the Muslim American soldier knows where the, the imam chaplain is. Uh, and some of us evangelicals struggle with that. You know, um, if I'm doing that, am I violating you know, my faith group? So uh, my perspective is, <clears throat> if I get to show the love of Christ and they know that I'm authentic and that I really care for their soul, that I'm mm-hmm. taking care of them, um, that it's not just pro forma, but I, but I really care. Um, they'll come to me with their family problems. They'll come to me with their, any other issues that I can counsel them on. And 
Lord willing, they'll, I will be planting a seed. I may not Absolutely. be the one that's reaping it, but somewhere down the line, they, they said, hey, Chaplain Dabick, you know, really took care of me. And, you know, sometimes Christians kind of give us the cold shoulder, but that guy really cared. Um, I, I think that's a win for the kingdom. Then let somebody else come up behind that and, and continue to love that person with the love of Christ. Absolutely. And I think that's such an incredible ministry um, that you get to have because in, in no other ministry that I can think of, do you get to have such a comprehensive involvement piece of everyone's life that you're ministering to? Oh, yeah. You get to, I mean, as a pastor, I can't just roll up to one of my congregants' jobs <laughs> and sit <laughs> right. behind them at the desk and hey, be like, so how, what you doing? <laughs> you want some Skittles? You yeah. know, and but a chaplain gets to walk around, you know, with some Skittles and yeah. you're in the motor pool. And everyone's like, nice, chaplains here, got some Skittles, and you can talk to them. John knows some of the lingo. So a motor pool is where all of our trucks are. So uh, the, the cool thing is, is if I'm in my office, I'm wrong. Hmm. I mean, I'm really supposed to be, whether we're, we're in the field practicing or whether we're in combat or whether we're just in garrison and we're working on our trucks, mm-hmm. um, I, I've got to be out and about with the soldiers. Um, it's really the best incarnational, uh, immersive ministry of presence I could imagine. I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, if you're a pastor, you're not going to show up at IBM and just kind of walk into somebody's cubicle or their office. Yeah, they'll ask you to leave. <laughs> Security. <laughs> this man doesn't have a pass. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Where the Army is expecting you to do that. I mean, if you're not doing that, you know, you're, you're missing the greatest place of your ministry. Absolutely. Yeah. And so with that, one of the biggest things that's been really popular in our culture. Hacksaw Ridge was a, was a wildly popular movie that came out. And in it, famously, a pacifist uh, mm-hmm. wants to serve in the military but doesn't want to hold a weapon and so joins the medical corps right. um, wanting to help soldiers. And so you, also as a non-combatant, um, don't carry a weapon or anything like that. Right. And so a lot of people see that as a way that a Christian can take part in the military. But... I want to talk about the Christian who is carrying a weapon. Okay. Yeah. What, what are the, what's the theological mindset? What, what permissions do we have biblically and how can we take part in warfare uh, when we see passages that say things like, you know, turn the other cheek? Sure. No, that, that's a great question. <clears throat> and and it, the good thing is if any soldier is asking that question, I mean, thank the Lord they're being thoughtful about their faith and the intersection of their faith and, and, and being in the military. So the, um, the, the historic church answer is really, it's really fascinating. So it goes back to um, Augustine and when the barbarians were invading Rome, mm-hmm. uh, that question was asked. You know, uh, Jesus says, turn the other cheek. And Augustine in, in his uh, city of God says it's really got two facets to it. Number one, that turn the other cheek is really for interpersonal relationships. It's not mm. really designed for, you know, nation on nation or right. people group on people group uh, kind of a thing. But the second thing is really more compelling, and that is positively, uh, we do have an imperative to love our neighbor. Mm. And so if we don't respond to the barbarians invading Rome, our neighbors are going to be killed. So if God is calling you to love your neighbor enough to offer your life up Mm. for their sake, to protect them and to safeguard them, then that's a noble calling. And and it is a calling. I mean, you know, check with God on this, 
but um, neighbor love is really the biblical uh, reason, if you have that call, to protect the, the lives of others. Mm-hmm. And I think that it um, also goes into the mindset of where do we want Christians to be in positions of influence? at every level and yeah. throughout every society. That's that's the amazing thing about being Christians is we can integrate into so many different things and we're called to. But then also, when you have an army on the front line, um, you can look at you know historical warfare at, throughout any time in history, and it can get pretty ugly pretty fast. Sure. And the question is, who do you want in positions of influence to help do war correctly and not take it too far and not go beyond the battlefield? Right. in a foreign place. No, that I mean, that's, I mean, I've had wonderful godly Christian commanders. Um, I've had one or two that, you know, were, were very neutral on faith. Uh, you know, it is a, a civil society and a liberal democracy. Uh, mm-hmm. There are, you know, candidly, there are some atheists out there who are people of ethical character. Absolutely. That I might want to be my commander other than some other people that might say, Pop up, right. say they're Christians or, or, or you know, but sure. their, their lives are a little different. Um, but I, I think uh, even in that scenario, I, I think when you think of the ethics of warfare, of <clears throat> it's really called the just war tradition, that we're doing the right thing the right way under the right conditions for the right reasons. Um, that's based on, again, Augustine. You know, so even the ethics of warfare is standing on the shoulders of the church. Mm. So if you've got somebody who's religiously neutral, but doing the right thing, that's still the gospel influence uh, having its effect throughout the centuries. Absolutely. It's really a a fascinating thing to look at. And and we have the the already but not yet aspect of Christianity, but we have the... Mm, The church militant. Yeah, Yeah. we have the the promise of the kingdom coming, and it's here, and and we get to live with Christ in us and represent that... uh, but it's not yet because his perfect kingdom of peace, he's bringing it. Yeah. And so until then, we need to love our neighbors. We need to sacrifice as Christ has sacrificed for us. And we need to, as Christ leads us, um, go into whatever job can help us do that best, uh, which could be the military. And it, it could be. So it's interesting. A lot of soldiers will have tattooed on their arm the verse that says, No greater love mm. as any man than this, than he lay his life down for his friend. So in, in a very existential, very real way. Soldiers get it. They understand mm-hmm. uh, that it is a love-based sacrifice, and there's nothing better than a love-based sac- sacrifice we find in Christ. Absolutely. And one of my favorite stories um, that I grew up hearing from you was when you were, um, I want to say it was Tikrit, okay. when, when you were ambushed, and you got to minister to those Iraqi soldiers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which aren't on your team. That's the yeah. that's the other side, but you and that's why I think it's so beautiful when Christians are in positions like this because you got to represent Christ even to what on paper should have been your enemy, but you bring Christ into the conversation. And say this this is a person, this is someone made in the image of God oh, yeah. that I can minister to because they're not fighting right now. No, they're out of the fight. They're, they're just they're, they're 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 human. We're human. Yeah. This is happening, and so to to get to do ministry like that, I think is a perfect example of kind of what we're talking about here, that when you've got Christians in positions of influence like that, it's not about the warfare, it's about the people. And you're laying down your life for the people back home, but also we're all humans, and when the fighting's over, the fighting's over, and we can show love and compassion and grace and restoration. Yeah, and 
and this is great, you know, if anybody wants to look it up, <clears throat> the, those Just War principles, there's a good book by a guy named Dr. Dan Bell. It's called Just War as Christian Discipleship. And his premise is that just war theory, just war tradition doesn't belong to the politicians. It belongs to the church. Mm. That we should be setting the conditions for our, our parishioners to understand that if, if we fight, it's so that the peace we imagine as an outcome is better than the peace we have mm. if we don't fight. And that by fighting well, rightly, under just principles, for just reasons, um, it's also for the enemy's benefit. Mm. The peace that they will enjoy on the other side of that is better than the conditions that they have now. The other caveat to that is that um, the just war really focuses on a defensive war. You can't be the offender. You can't right. go on the offense. But uh, if that other country fights you, then you can respond as a Christian. Um, and it's it, the sooner you do it, that this is over, the less of them die the less mm -hmm. of us perish and that the peace that they can experience is better than, than what they what they have now. Absolutely. Yeah. This has been an incredible conversation and I think one that a lot of our listeners are going to benefit from. Before we head out here, I want to ask you, there are going to be two, two questions here. The first one is, if you could say one thing to every person who wants to join the army or the military, what would you say to that person considering the armed forces? I would say, first of all, you know, check your call. That if, if you're a follower of Christ, if, if you're a Jesus lover, then uh, make sure you're getting guidance from the tower. He's the one that's leading you into this. It's from him. It's for him. And that you, kind of like we talked about earlier, you know, I, I, I should do this. Out of neighbor love, um, I want to be a tank officer or I want to enlist and be a tank driver mm -hmm. um, or infantry or, you know, all the other fields that are available. Um, because you can serve faithfully. Uh, what I loved as a chaplain was to find those sergeants like my friend uh, who are a faithful mechanic uh, or a faithful infantry officer who loves the Lord, and they are a model for their soldiers. They, somebody looks at the, hey, there's something different about that guy. Mm. Just like I talked about in my, my freshman dorm, right? You know, right. Hey, hey, my commander, there's something different about my commander. Right. Um, and it's compelling. Mm. Um, so, uh, but it's, it's not for everybody. It's a tough life. Um, there's a lot of time away from home. So, as, as you well know. I do know. I right. do know. But it's for a good reason, and, and I could not be more proud of you and oh, the sacrifices thanks. that you've made, and, and thank you for that. I love you. I love you, too. <laughs> so now, what would you say to the person who's maybe hearing this and is thinking, I hadn't heard about chaplaincy before, but I this is sounding really interesting. I've always wanted to serve, but I want to do ministry. Yeah. Uh, or maybe someone who's already considering the chaplaincy. What would you say to them? I would say, again, Kind of start at the same place. It's God calling you. Mm. Uh, but uh, we need chaplains. We need good, godly chaplains. We need chaplains from every faith group. And to have chaplains who love the Lord and live for the Lord, uh, man, come join us. Uh, you know, you can be in that tank battalion. You can be in a helicopter battalion. There's all kinds of wonderful places to, to serve. Um, and one of the things that I do appreciate <clears throat> is that I am a non-combatant. I, mm. I can't touch a weapon. I don't shoot. Uh, I am there for the sake of their souls, uh, for the soul of the Army and their families. Mm. And uh, it is an amazing min incarnational ministry. I look like mm. them. I wear the same uniform, and they trust me. So the, uh, the opportunity to serve your country and to serve God coming together is really a fabulous calling. So come join us. 
Wonderful. Well, I think that's going to close us out. This is a fantastic conversation. Hey, Thanks John, for being on the thank show. Thank you. Great interviewer, wonderful. John. Hey, well, thank you. I try my best. <laughs> so thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share uh, this. We, we can only exist uh, with your guys' views and, and your downloads and your listens. So we appreciate every single one of you. Uh, throw a comment in, a like. Uh, send it to a friend who maybe might be considering the Army. But well, we appreciate you guys so much. God bless. Have a great week.